When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to our next edition of In the Trenches. And for today's, we have a man that has worn many hats throughout his lifetime, has been instrumental in Ann Arbor as well as the athletic department, and that is former athletic director Bill Martin. Excited to talk to him and get his take on what is going on in our country right now and how it might relate to some of our past. We'll talk to him in just a few minutes on In the Trenches. Let's go in the trenches with John Jansen. The former Wolverines captain and Michigan Sports Hall of Famer will take you inside the locker room with players and coaches. We're all going to be relieved because that's going to be a marker that the return that the world has returned to normal. <laughs> we're, we're back and we have uh, sports again. Once again, here's John Jansen. Welcome back, friends. Brian, before we get going, I know our... The first question uh, you're going to ask me is, how am I holding up? But uh, I think I'll start with you. How are you holding up uh, in the quarantine days? And maybe have you found some an interest that you didn't know you had, but you're getting into now? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's probably a renewed interest. Uh, my girlfriend and I bought a Nintendo Switch, not a sponsor, um, and enjoying we're enjoying that. Uh, I forgot really how to play video games. I, I think I had a been a Nintendo guy. 64, I had a GameCube with like those discs that were like little coasters. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been fun trying to pass the time. The reality is, as we were talking about before we started this podcast, every day, this is coming out on a Tuesday, every day feels like a Tuesday. It's just always Tuesday. It, it is. It's, it seems like it's always Tuesday or you could pick any day. It's always Wednesday. If you could pick any day to repeat, and, and I'm, I'm stealing your seven from 77. This is not one of the questions, but I'm just going to go and add to it. If you could pick any day to repeat of the day of the week, what would it be? Uh, for me, it'd be Saturday. 
I, I, I mean, we get football, and then there's still the anticipation of football the next day. And during the offseason, it's still Saturday, so that's positive. So, yeah, give me Saturday. There's basketball a lot of times on Saturday. So, yeah, sign me up. I, sh- I sure as heck don't want it to be Tuesday anymore. I'm sick of Tuesday. <laughs> Groundhog Day. What about Bob? Uh, all of those move, all those Bill Bill Murray movies. Uh, but uh, hey, I tell you what, let's get into it and let's go for our seven from seventy-seven. Yeah, number one, and as we talked about, this is how it's going to be until this is over. Number one is how you holding up. What's new in the John Jansen household? I hear there's a new addition. There is a new addition, and you know we've we've tried this before, um, and it hasn't gone well. But because we are, you know, quarantined, we're locked in, we're home 24-7 except for groceries and necessities, we have decided that we would take the leap and get ourselves a puppy. And it is mm. a Burmese mountain, Bernese mountain dog. Um, she is eight weeks old. We have named her. Um, and and the, the, the trouble I had with naming her was it's a her. I already had to name three girls, and everybody – when I asked their, their opinion or their, their feedback or their input, I say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of a girl name because my go-tos are obviously like, you know, Jake, uh, because of big Jake and, and, and John Wayne or, uh, the Duke or, you know, Bo or Harbaugh, or, you know, anything Michigan related, but it's all, you know, kind of, you know, dudish. Um, so I've named three girls and the two first ones that everybody, you know, recommends, they're like, Hey, you know, Lucy is a great dog's name. Ruby is a great dog's name. And I've got a friend who has a Bernese mountain dog and he said, you know, we named her Ruby. And I said, well, uh, my oldest daughter is Lucy. My second daughter is Ruby. So I can't name the dog after one of the kids. So, um, we ended up going with Dakota, uh, and she is, she's a very smart dog. She's sweet. She is doing a great job of using the outdoor bathroom. Uh, And so I've got really no complaints so far. That's awesome. I love dogs. I've got a little dog. It's a she. It's a little plot hound named Nellie. And, uh, yeah, this is a really easy time to get to know your dog very well. I know every action that my dog does right now as we record. She's in her crate in her safe place. It's open. She's fine. And she will soon take the Herculean task of moving from the crate to the couch. Good for her. It's a busy day. It's a busy Tuesday for all dogs out there. All right, number two on seven from 77. We're in a, certainly a a low time for college football, but there's still news out there. So what were your biggest takeaways over the last week? We heard Dabo Swinney say there's no doubt there'll be football in September. Alabama with the Apple Watch controversy or whatever the heck you want to call it recruiting dead period extended through may mike leach twitter follow that's certainly a storyline at mississippi state what were some of your takeaways from throughout college football uh i think it's it's always going to revolve around when will we see college football um and to hear Dabo come out and say you know he he has no doubt that we'll have football in september um, that's from a football coach who wants to have football in September. I would say the same thing, but you know, I'm not a, a doctor. I'm not an immunologist. I'm not anything with uh, an ologist or an MD or any of those letters that follow names of people who actually know what they're talking about. I think that it, to have football in September is going to take some effort. 
and it's going to take effort. We've heard different governors. It was the governor of Alabama, the governor of Nebraska, who said, you know, you better stay home if you want football in, in the fall. And I think I would take that to, you know, to heart and say, you know, I think that is whatever motivates people to follow what the those that are specialists in this area are recommending, whatever motivation it takes to follow the rules is what we've got to, you know, to, to, to echo. And I will say that to all Michigan fans. If you want to have football in the fall, follow the rules. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, we expect of Coach Harbaugh. That's what we expect of, of um, you know, Ward Manuel. That's what we expect of all of our coaches. And that's what we expect of you right now is to follow the rules. And, you know, when I say there's going to be an effort in place, um, you know, the first thing that will have to happen is to have football, you're going to have to have a university that is open for business. We don't know. And we don't have to make that decision right now. I think there's a lot of people that are making unsubstantiated claims as to whether we have football, we don't, when we have it, if we're going to push it back, is it going to be in next year's spring? We don't know. And we don't have to make that decision right now. There is so much going on that we still have yet to find out and figure out and learn about that we don't have to make that decision until we get to you know, late May, June, July even. And should we have contingency plans in place? Absolutely. We'd be foolish if we didn't have contingency plans in place. But to say, you know, we know what is going to happen, um, it may be the foolish thing that that I've heard right now because everything changes on a daily basis. Um, and what is what is good right now may not be good this afternoon. What is good today may not be good a week from now. So we just have to continue to be, you know, diligent in what we are doing vigilant in, in, you know, making sure that we are taking care of ourselves. We are taking care of our neighbors and by, by taking care of our neighbors, that's meaning let's keep our distance and make sure that, um, you know, everybody stays safe and that we do have the opportunity to have football in the fall. I think the best illustration of this I heard was from the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver. He was talking to TNT's Ernie Johnson. And while the PGA tour has come out with scheduled or rescheduled dates for a few of their majors while major league baseball is talking about trying to start the season potentially as early as may in arizona only adam silver came out and said you know the crazy thing about this virus is if you would have told us when we shut down the season back in march that we wouldn't know as much as we needed to know by this point in order to start making decisions i would have thought you were crazy that's what he said and He's like, I don't know if we're going to have any idea of what the next step is this month. So it's easy to talk about what the viewpoint is for college football in September, the NFL in September, etc. They don't have to make those decisions yet. But a, a league that is actively trying to figure out what can we do to get back to basketball, and you've got the head of the sport saying, I don't think we're going to know the answer to that this month. I think that's as indicative as anything I've heard. Yeah, I, I agree. And and again, it's just a matter of information. And, you know, mm-hmm. as more comes in, we can process it. We can put it into, you know, different models, different computer programs and, and you know, simulators and do all that stuff. And again, that that's way above my head. And when they when I get information that I understand um, and I can make my own opinion and decision off of that, then, you know, I'll, I'll let everybody know what, what I think. Um, but up until that point, 
Um, again, it's just not something that I am familiar with or aware of. Number three on today's seven from 77. Let's put aside, let's put sports into a vacuum here. And, you know, obviously there's a lot going on in the world, but let's talk NFL draft. The NFL came out this week and said it was going to be, quote, fully virtual. So strictly from a football perspective, from an execution perspective, what intrigues you most about what we're going to see in a couple weeks? Uh, what intrigues me is going to be the process. And everybody's looking for an advantage in, in, in performance, and in execution, and the draft is all about executing, executing a strategy and trying to make sure that you put your team in position to get the players that you want. And, you know, some of that was done last year by, you know, the record and where you fall in the draft. Now it'll be interesting because everybody is going to be spread out. You're not going to have, you know, the, the quote-unquote war room full of decision makers and 10 different phones that, that teams can call. We all think that Joe Burrow is probably going to go number one to the Cincinnati Bengals. Now it, it, the, it, the interest goes way up at number two. And does do the Washington Redskins, do they take Chase Young? Because, you know, he is that type of talent, should be a, 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 you know, a top two or three pick. Or do they go with Tua Tungavailoa? You've got a new head coach in Ron Rivera. You've got an owner that I'm familiar with and Dan Snyder that – you know, if, if last year's draft hadn't happened and we didn't see the uh, Arizona Cardinals take Josh Rosen in, you know, high in, in, in 2018 and then last year with a new coach and a new system and wanting to make a splash and Kyler Murray's available, they end up taking him number one overall. I think we, we, we say Dan Snyder taking Tua Tungavailoa would seem – uh, a little bit out there because they took Dwayne Haskins last year. But having seen that and having known that that's a possibility, then all of a sudden you look and you say, well, you know, what happens at that number two spot? And then what happens with Detroit at number three? And so I, I'm giving you all of this backdrop because when you go into a draft with a plan in normal circumstances, if everything goes according to plan with the first pick, then you 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 go with you know hey okay this is what we think is going to happen with second pick and here is here is how we think it falls after that and then all of a sudden where, wherever that first surprise happens if 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 Washington takes to a Tungavailoa then if you don't have a scenario in place for Detroit as to what you are going to do do you take Chase Young do you take Jeff Okuya do you take uh, Isaiah Simmons out of out of uh, Clemson then all of a sudden chaos ensues or with the fourth pick with the Giants. We don't think that they want a quarterback. They took one last year. Whenever that first unexpected pick happens, now all of a sudden it throws everybody's scenarios out the window. And here's where I'm getting to. If you've only got 15 minutes to pick a pick and your entire scenario is gone, what happens if you get a phone call from three different teams? First of all, you got to be able to th field three phone calls for whoever's making the decision. If they want to make a trade, now you have to consult with somebody. There is just going to be a lot of moving parts. So if it happens with two minutes left and you have to make a pick, now maybe you're not going to make the pick or the, the best pick that you have available because the system that you had in place didn't allow for all the circumstances. So I think whoever has the best system – 
in place in regards to communicating with the GM, with the scouts, with the front office, that is the team that will win this draft. Going to be fascinating, no doubt about it. Number four, speaking of the NFL draft, of course, with the pandemic, pro days really didn't happen throughout the nation. Tell me, as not necessarily the day one or day two picks, but how vital are those pro days for the guys who are trying to get on NFL teams' radars and what was taken away from them? Again, realizing this isn't the most important thing, but within the context of the NFL, how difficult will it be for some of those off-the-radar prospects to emerge when they didn't get that opportunity? Well, I I know it's not a life-and-death situation, but you're talking about the livelihood and the opportunity to to provide a great livelihood for your family in some of these decisions that will be made. And I think it affects a lot of the smaller school kids. And and you think, okay, as an example for Michigan, Ben Bredesen was, had an injury, didn't perform at the combine. He was looking forward to the pro day where he would be healthy. He would be able to perform. He doesn't have that. But what he does have is four years of film. And he is going to be drafted as a football player. I think this is going to be a much higher quality draft because front offices are going to have to look at what they actually do on film. They'll evaluate what they see on film. So you will get, a, I think, a good evaluation of the, the players that are be taken and not distracted by you know, some track stars that run a really fast 40 or can do, you know, a three cone drill really well, or, you know, have a great vertical, a great broad jump, all of those things. You won't have to net, you won't have those to confirm what you're seeing on film, but you'll be able to watch football players play football and you'll actually be drafting on football knowledge. The players I think it affects the most are the ones coming from the small schools. And, and a lot of those that will be taken uh, you know, in, in rounds three through seven, because when you watch them play film, it's harder to evaluate the uh, a known quantity because you don't know the talent that they're playing against. It And it, it goes to, you know, evaluating talent like you would as a college coach. When you're looking at high school film and you see an offensive lineman that's 6'5", he's 320 pounds, and he's destroying every defensive lineman that he's playing against. Well, those defensive linemen might be a buck 80. They might be a buck 60. Some kid that's going to, you know, whoever to be an accountant or a doctor or a chemist or, or a teacher or whatever it is. You just don't know that known quantity. So for some of these small schools, that's exactly the struggle that they will have in evaluating is this corner really good? Is he fast? Is can you know how do, how can we project him coming from this you know a league where we don't see a lot of players come out? They don't have a lot of NFL talent. We think he might, but we don't necessarily know how it will relate to defending against some of the best talent in the NFL. So I think you know to a long-winded answer to your question, but it will affect a lot of the small school guys a, a lot more. Number five on today's seven from 77. Some basketball news for U of M. David DeJulius, sophomore guard, soon to be junior. He's entering the transfer portal as announced Monday. Your takeaways from a local young man who uh, I've always been really impressed with on and off the floor. Uh, he's decided to move on. Well, I, I, I'm going to flip this around on you because you're more familiar because you call, you've called every game that, that – Jawan Howard is coached that David Julius played this year. But in my initial take, it's 
he's probably looked at the talent that Jawan Howard is bringing in in this next freshman class. He is looking at the you know the 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 prospects of do I get to start? Do I am I going to play a a big time role? Uh, is are are my opportunities going to increase as my basically my number of years of eligibility decrease? And that's what you know a lot of these kids are looking at. And if the answer is no and it's going to be hard to get on the field or on the court, then, you know, you're going to see kids transfer. And, and I'm curious in, in regards to Jawan Howard still hasn't had the job for over a year. Um, he was, you know, this time last year, because the tournament was supposed to be played this past Monday, um, you know, uh, John Beeline was still the head coach at Michigan. He hadn't taken the Cleveland job yet. And now all of a sudden – after a year, and I know that I've heard from him that you know the relationship between him and Jawan was a good relationship. They were continuing to build that. I, I want to know from you, from having seen it from a more personal standpoint, what do you take away from David DeJulius entering the transfer portal? What something like this shows, and we've seen it more and more in college basketball, when you're in the midst of a season, players do a really good job of blocking out the noise, of being able to focus on the collective, to worry about what's most important. How do I help my team win? And even if that is less playing time or you know helping out on the scout team or whatever it might be, that's their laser focus. And it's easy for people outside the program, people outside um, you know, that basketball family, the, the 15 young men and the coaching staff who, who go out there and who perform, it's easy to start thinking about, oh, wow, look who Coach Howard's recruiting. Look who he's, look who he could have coming in here for, for next season. And then you get to the off season, And obviously this was a very abrupt one uh, with, with the pandemic and, and all those things. But I think it shows that ultimately, even if you have a great relationship with the coaching staff. And by all accounts, David DeJulius had a great rapport with Coach Howard, with Howard Isley, who worked with the guards. They got very close, obviously a couple of local products uh, in Coach Isley and David DeJulius. But ultimately, feel, proximity, etc. These guys want to play basketball. And David DeJulius, David DeJulius would play on next year's team. I don't think there's any question about that. But DeJulius was a top 100 recruit. This is a guy who, you know, in high school, he was probably being told, man, you could be potentially declaring for the NBA after your sophomore season if everything clicks right, if you continue to grow in the way that your potential certainly, you know, has that that opportunity to. This boils down to, I think, he wants to go play. And not just play a 10, 12, 15-minute role like he had in some of the games down the stretch this past season, but he wants to go somewhere and start and be a scorer like we saw him in high school. I mean, gosh, Terry Mills, who we had on last podcast, he would always rave about what he saw from David Julius in high school. He was a he was a stone-cold killer offensively. He was phenomenal. And he's got that potential to do that. And ultimately, I mean, you know this, John, you have to cherish every season of eligibility you have. This, for David Julius to me, feels like, I want to get as much playing time as possible. And if that means I have to sit out a year, and if that means I need to, to make sure that, you know, I, I need to, you know, hone my skills for however long it might be, who knows with, with this pandemic if we'll get immediate eligibility or whatever else. But I think he wants to play. 
and he wants to play as a starter. He wants to play as a 25, 30-minute guy. And I'll be curious to see where he ends up. Uh, I think the easy connection is with DeAndre Haynes as the assistant at Maryland. Uh, but will he go somewhere that, you know, will it stay in the Big Ten? Will he go maybe to like an Atlantic 10 or something like that and drop a little bit so that he can more certainly lock in some playing time once he gets out on the floor? Uh, it's interesting. But as a person, great dude. I wish him all the best. He was as entertaining, as insightful as anybody on that club last year. Uh, and I hope it works out for him. It's just a bummer it didn't happen here. It is. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, he wasn't recruited by Jawan Howard. Uh, he was coached by him over this year. And, and I, David DeJulius strikes me as a guy, um, as a kid, that understands what type of game he has. And maybe it just doesn't fit into the offense that Jawan Howard is is moving towards. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that and and see how, you know, see where he, where he ends up. And, and one thing I do know is that he's a really good kid. No doubt about that. Uh, number six, speaking of someone who is really, really good, uh, both as a player and even more importantly as a person, sad news with Al Kaline, Mr. Tiger, passing away. Uh, I know, John, you're a football guy first, but you, you, you like baseball. You understand what he is a Hall of Fame player and person meant to this area. I, I, I sure do. And, and I had a chance this past summer when uh, we had a golf outing uh, and it was uh, it was uh, to raise money for the Chad Tuff organization, and Al Kaline was there, and um, had a chance to talk to him for a, just a few minutes, and just you know, growing up in Detroit, and you know, watching the Tigers. Obviously, I never saw him play, but my dad did, and what he meant to this area, what he meant to the Tigers organization. You know, continuing to be involved in the community past when he retired, past when he stepped down from involvement with the Detroit Tigers. He just was always a member of this community, and and I don't know if anybody remembers this. If you grew up in the area and you went to the Oakland Mall. Um, there was a trucking company, and I don't know if it was, you know, Mr. K-Line's company or not, but it was called, I think it was K-Line. Um, and I remember turning off a of Maple onto the road that would, would lead to the mall. Um, and for those that aren't from the area, Maple is 15 mile. Um, and you would see these trucks lined up. And I, it always would raise the question to me, and, and I would then ask my dad, you know, tell me some stories about Al Kaline and what he meant to the Tigers, what he did. And my dad always had something, you know, that he could share with me that was new because he did so much during his playing career. Um, we heard his voice on the TV broadcast. He was just, that was Mr. Tiger. And so it is sad news that, um, that we have to move on without him. But um, his legacy, the stories, all of those things will continue to live on, uh, not just in the Detroit area, but in the baseball community. Yeah, really well said. Uh, speaking of someone who has a great legacy in this area, in the sports world, Bill Martin going to join us here shortly. You guys go into a wide array of topics uh, some really insightful stuff, but but for a guy who's done so much in his life and and you know it well, what stands out to you most about Mr. Martin? Um, his, uh, you know, it's really his want to continue to challenge himself. And you think about in 1968, he founded the first Martin Corporation, and that is still going strong. It's it's going more than strong. It's it's uh, it's one of the premier real estate holdings in Ann Arbor. Um, and you look at their, their list of tenants, they've got Google, they've got obviously the university of Michigan, um, you know, hotels, it's just, 
his ability to come from very you know modest background, work hard, and continue to always challenge himself. In, in the conversation that I have with him, one of the things that, that always strikes me is he's a well-read guy. And the value that you have of staying current and reading, um, whether it's periodicals, whether it's the newspapers, whether it's it's you know reading books, it's the value of knowledge. And he is a guy that has great recall, um, had great recall in his time that he spent at the University of Michigan. And this is a guy too where he had all of that going on. He founded the Bank of Ann Arbor, so there it's not like he just had nothing to do. But in two thousand. Um, President Bollinger said, hey, we, we need some help. We want you to step in. And he thought originally it was only going to be for, for a couple of months. Ended up staying for 10 years um, as athletic director for the University of Michigan and took it from a, a an athletic department that was inherited in the red and got it into the black. And it has been there ever since. So his perspective on handling a national tragedy, because he was the uh, athletic director during 9-11 um, and the, 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 the ability to be a resource for all of those in the athletic department now, for those that are in, you know, in the sports world, because he was the president of the United States Olympic Committee. He, he is just a guy that it, it never seems like enough is enough. He always wants to do more and he has always given back to the University of Michigan, to the community that is Ann Arbor. Uh, I enjoyed my conversation with him, and I hope you will as well. Here is Bill Martin. Hold on there, John. Come on, man. We've got a bacon fact. To I got get excited. To. I thought maybe we just plug that in at the end, but let's go bacon fact, and then I'll and then I'll it's redo my segue to to Mr. Martin. <laughs> <laughs> it was you really nailed it. I sensed it, but I'm like, no, he'll remember the bacon. He always remembers the bacon but you didn't remember the bacon. John, in the U.S. and in Canada, one item of bacon, one unit of bacon referred to as a slice or a strip, whereas a rasher refers to several slices. However, in the U.K. and Australia and New Zealand, among others, a rasher is one slice. So when all this is over, when you finally are able to travel again and you go overseas, make sure you know how to order the right amount of bacon or you could be so sadly, sadly disappointed. And make sure to wash your hands, too. Well, uh, whenever I walk in anywhere, um, it's I'll take a side of bacon, uh, and that it, it, it a side of bacon, and and it, I guess there's interpretation in that as well. Is it is it you know the whole side of bacon, or is it uh, I'm just going to get a couple of pieces on the side of my of my dish? I think that to me kind of clears up the 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 would you say it was the the rasher of bacon yep. or the slice of bacon, or hey you just say you know what. I would like 12 slices of bacon, please. Um, and it's kind of like Christmas. You get 12 days of Christmas, I'll take 12 slices of bacon. And and it clears up all of the ambiguity in, in what words mean, because words have meaning. Words can be hurtful, they can be helpful, and they can be yummy as well. And that is a side of bacon, a slab of bacon, a rasher of bacon, it's just, it, there's just so many opportunities, but enough bacon and let's get a chance to talk to Bill Martin. I'm joined by a guy that's worn a lot of hats over the course of, of his 
career. Uh, one of those hats was the athletics director at the University of Michigan from 2000 to 2010. And I'm, uh, I'm very pleased to introduce and have on the podcast here, Bill Martin. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Happy to be with you, John. And uh, it's always good to talk about the world of uh, athletics and sports and everything that's happening today. Well, and- it's kind of a challenging time. It is, and there's a lot going on, and uh, uh, I want to get into that. But first, I guess I'd I'd like to ask: our, our, how are you handling the the you know coronavirus, and how has it uh, uh, affected you and your business, and and how you operate right now? Well, you know, fortunately, nobody in our family uh, is ill. Uh, everybody's kind of hunkering down, and. Uh, uh, me, what do I do? I get up in the morning somewhere around 6.30. I have breakfast. I walk to work, which is a beautiful half-hour walk along the Huron River, and uh, go in. Everybody's working remotely, so I'm kind of there by myself an awful lot, and um, carrying on business as best we can. I spend a lot of time down at the Bank of Ann Arbor also, uh, but all is well. Uh, all I'm praying for is that uh, we come out of it uh, with the least number of people physically impacted and we can get this economy going again because this is very, very crippling. And we see it at uh, the bank. We see it in the real estate industry as every business is closed today. Uh, it's very, very stressful for a lot of people out there. Fortunately, we're in a position where we can, uh, as a business, um, weather the storm. And uh, as you do weather the storm, obviously you uh, founded the Bank of Ann Arbor, I think it was in 1996, and uh, there's a lot going on in the financial industry right now. How has the decisions that uh, President Trump and the the uh, House of Representatives and the Senate, everything that they've passed to help out, how has that affected you guys and increased possibly your, your workload at the bank? Well, certainly the most recent program uh, of government aid has had an avalanche of applications from our businesses seeking that relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a very, very important step. Uh, to a large extent, Washington came together, uh, both sides of the political spectrum, and uh, has been working together on this with uh, very little, probably, as I would say, um, politicking involved in it. Uh, I think the one thing for me that that this uh, endemic has pointed out is we weren't as a country prepared for it in terms of stockpiling all of the necessary materials uh, to take care of health care workers, uh, etc. cetera. I, I was reading the New York Times today, and there was a very, very short one-paragraph, two-paragraph article about how the country of Finland had stockpiled uh, all the materials that were necessary. I actually have it in my hand now, and here's what it said. Finland is sitting in an enviable stockpile of personal protective equipment like surgical masks, uh, this stockpile, considered one of Europe's best and built up over the years, includes oil, grains, agricultural tools, raw materials to make ammunition. And it's very interesting that we don't have a similar stockpile of all the necessary uh, materials it takes to survive a pandemic or any other major issue. 
personally, I think we need national policies that regardless of who occupies the White House and the Senate and the House of Representatives are in the best interest in preserving the continuity of uh, the American lifestyle as we've come to know it. Well, and it's going to be a huge adjustment to try and get back to that. And and I want to go back and, and weave in, obviously, Michigan athletics into this discussion. When you were the director of athletics, um, that was in the time period where 9-11 happened. And I, I don't know that you can necessarily compare the two, but they are, you know, obviously some big events that have happened nationally and, and you, know, you know, throughout the world that have affected you know, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and, uh, you know, the university in the state, um, you know, how, what was your initial reaction to what you were going to do as athletics director when you saw the towers that were hit and, and the, in the moments following and the days following? Yeah, well, it, it was uh, very, very uh, personal for me because I had uh, sons living in Manhattan at the time. <laughs> I can tell you, we were uh, desperate to hear from them. And uh, my one son was able to watch, unfortunately, the plane hit the second tower. And an incredible story is his uh, best friend was in that tower, and he thought for sure he had lost him. And uh, the young man, you know, probably late 20s, you know, three, four hours later appeared at his doorway, all covered in that white dust that everybody saw. So he, he made it. Um, what happened in Ann Arbor at that time mm-hmm. uh, in the athletic department? Uh, I told everybody who wanted to to go home, um, come back when they felt about it, reflect on what's happened today, uh, turn on your television and watch the news, which we all were riveted to. I remember one particular incident. I stayed in the athletic department that day and every day thereafter, but all the airplanes uh, were shut down. Every commercial airliner was told to land as soon as practical. And we heard a jet outside uh, down at uh, State Street and Hoover, and we all ran outside, and we saw one military jet very low going right over downtown Ann Arbor, and we never found out what that was about, but we were all wondering, my gosh, are we being attacked, yeah. uh, even here in the Midwest? But it was um, it was a pretty sobering moment, and at that time, there were many Michigan alums who were lost in, in the towers also. And several of them we were familiar with in athletics because they were donors to us. They were our former um, major supporters. And and so it, it did leave an impact on the department, no question about it. And having gone through that impact, what was the recovery like um, from, obviously, you know, we always talk about we're the leaders and best. And one of the institutions that everybody looks to in regards to how do we come out of a situation like this, what, what were some of the ways that you were able to assist in the recovery of not just the athletic department, but us as a, as a public as a whole in, in gaining trust in going to the big house where there's 111,000 people. Everybody thought, you know, hey, if somebody's if there's going to be a target, that would be one. Um, what were some of the things that you had to adjust to? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, wow. Uh, 
you bring back memories to me uh, of that time. I, I will tell you the first and most immediate issue at that time and challenge was, do we play football the yeah. following Saturday? And I know we had several conference, conference calls, <clears throat> excuse me, of all the athletic directors in the conference, in the conference, along with commissioner Delaney, are we going to play? Are we not going to play? And we vacillated back and forth over a couple of days until we finally decided it was in the best interest not to play. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine the arguments on both sides of that. And we didn't play. And that led to the next major challenge. What do we do about our schedule? We were scheduled to play that following Saturday, as I recall, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I remembered I, I put together a small team of four or five people and we hunkered down in my office and decided, okay, we're not going to play. What do we do about readjusting our schedule for the balance of the year? And it was uh, one of those deals where we pushed, uh, ultimately we pushed Illinois back a week and we found uh, a uh, divisions one school, I can't even remember who it was, that could come in and play in place of Illinois at that time, because Illinois could not just move one uh, one week back. Um, so it was a mess <laughs> doing that, but we, we were able to do it. And uh, we all kind of lived through the emotional impact for the months succeeding that. I, I don't think there was much impact on that. Uh, I think our fans gravitated right back to the game. I, I remember, it, it, maybe you do too, I'm certain there's pictures around uh, the athletic department of the large American flag mm -hmm. that we put on the football field that, that for following week in our first game after 9-11 that just about covered the field from the 20-yard line to the 20-yard line. And I think it was a time of everybody coming together understanding what was happening and uh, everybody reflected on it in their own way and we carried on what we didn't want to do at that time was to hunker down in our homes and be scared unlike now where we hunker down on our home mm -hmm. homes for uh, our own uh, physical health and you needed to get the country going again and so we did everything we could to put all of our sports on, invite the fans, encourage them to come. And I, I think that all worked out pretty darn good. Uh, I would say it did. Um, and, you know, and, and I want to get into the economic side of it in just a little bit, but I want to draw a parallel to, or if, if there is a parallel, we can draw to what we're going through now in regards to this isn't just something that we're dealing with as a university, as a Big Ten, uh, you know, even just sports in general. This is something we're dealing with nationwide and and as a world. Um, every citizen of the world is, is having to deal with this. And sports has always been that one thing that has drawn everybody together, has allowed the escape of, you know, watching a game for a couple of hours and being able to get away. But now we don't have that. How does how do we recover from this? And because there will be sports again at some point, we don't know when it is. There will be sports, but um, I guess a better question I'll start with is, what do you think that first sporting event will be like when it is when everybody gets the all clear? Do you think everybody will will be able to celebrate as they as they want to at that moment? 
Oh, I, I think absolutely. And everybody is going to do it in their own way. And everybody has their own sport that they're most passionate, passionate about, whether they participate in it or whether they're a spectator or a fan. Uh, we're all going to be relieved because that's going to be a marker that the return that the world has returned to normal. <laughs> we're we're mm-hmm. back and we have uh, sports again, and we have a healthy country. I think that's what uh, a healthy world. That's what it's going to signify. But I, I hope more than anything else that uh, a crisis like this it allows us to learn the lessons that we don't want to repeat again, that we want to be prepared for pandemics of any nature whatsoever. What do I think uh, about when I think about um, the sports and from a global perspective? Mm -hmm. Well, we had to cancel the 2020 Olympics Mm -hmm. and they will now be held next year in 2021. And the tradition has always been even years. This is the first time we're going to have it in uh, 2021, an odd year. Um, And it's interesting. The Olympics have never been postponed ever. Mm -hmm. They've been canceled because of World War II, World War I, but they've never been postponed. And it's interesting, even though the Olympics are going to be next year in 2021, they're going to be referred to in the record book as the 2020 Olympics. And of course they'll be in Tokyo and Tokyo is just, uh, you know, mothballing all the t-shirts and hats that they have for sale. And they will continue to say 2020 Olympics. It's kind of a a unique situation. For those that don't know, um, not only was Bill Martin the athletics director, but also the president of the United States Olympic Committee. And and I can only imagine what went into making this decision. I don't know if you have had a chance to be a part of any of those conversations or were looked upon to advise on those. But uh, what could what what do you think went into actually making this decision to postpone the Olympics? Well. I think the Olympics held out as long as they could before they ultimately canceled it. And it, it just became a no-brainer that they had to cancel it. I, I can tell you that the extra cost to Tokyo is going to be in the billions of dollars to have canceled and moved them forward. And if you think about the North American TV rights, uh, which NBC and Turner have, that's a tremendous blow to the Olympic Committee. And I, I, I was honored and privileged to serve as president of the U.S. Olympic Committee for the 2002 Athens Games. And I had been uh, on the board actually representing the port, the sport of sailing previously to being president. And, and even in 2002, we had our challenges. And uh, you think back on it, that was a period of a lot of turmoil in the Middle East. It still is Mm -hmm. turmoil. And the country of Greece has incredibly long, unprotected, undefended borders. And at that time, many of the parents of athletes, American athletes, were concerned about their security. And I know I would get calls from the parents saying, 
Bill, can you guarantee the security of my son or my daughter at the Olympic Games? And that's a very tough thing to put in my shoes. How can I do that? Well, it just so happened, and this is an interesting story about uh, the University of Michigan and the depth and breadth of our alumni base. It just so happened that the ambassador to Greece for 2002 is a four-degree holder from the University of Michigan. Mm. His name is Tom Miller. In fact, he was uh, given, he gave the graduation speech about four or five years ago at Michigan in in, uh, January. Uh, Tom was the senior diplomat in the um, Foreign Service. He was put into the uh, Greece position for the games because he had served there before. He spoke the language. Very passionate uh, Michigan football supporter, I can tell you. Every year he calls me and says, hey, Bill, can I sit with you guys for the game? (laughs) So I see Tom Miller. So I called him. I had had a relationship. I'd gone to Greece and did an inspection of uh, all the facilities, etc. And I, I called him and told them about this problem I was having with uh, parents and athletes being unsure of their own personal safety during the games. And here's how he handled that for me. He said, Bill, here is my personal international cell phone number. You can give it to any student, any parent, or any athlete who is coming to the games and I will deal with it, and I will answer that question. So it turned out there was probably less than a half a dozen that uh, I had to pass on his number to, but he took care of it for me, and uh, I'm forever grateful to Tom Miller for that. Yeah, it's it's always amazing the reach of the University of Michigan, and, and it always seems like somebody pops up that you know is is in a in a, in a position to help, uh, to, in a position of of leadership. Uh, and you know when, when we finally do come out of this, and and I know that there were some challenges after nine eleven, after the Olympic Games, and and everything that happened there. But economically, what are some of the concerns, or what are some of the issues that Michigan will need to deal with in regards to getting back to you know getting back to the black? And not that they're not now, but with. With, with spring sports being held off um, and canceled and the, the possibility of football either being canceled or postponed, it's a huge hit to the athletic department. What are some of the concerns or issues that they're going to have to deal with in the near future? It's an absolute huge hit. There, there's just no question about it that uh, um, we're going to face a, a significant budget challenge uh, as an athletic department. And it is Uh, Everyone knows Michigan prides itself on being totally Mm self-financing. We don't take $1 away from the university's academic or research mission. In fact, it's the other way around. Athletics sends money to the general fund of the university and to be used in the discretion of the president. It wasn't always that case. We were able to start that early and my tenure as AD once we fixed the finances because they were in the red originally when I came in, but we got lucky, we made some smart moves and we turned it around. But as you know, 
one thing. The NCAA makes a ton of money on March Madness, over $600 million a year. And that $600 million is distributed to all the schools in the NCAA system. It doesn't matter if it's a Division One, Two, or Three school. So they distribute $600 million roughly under the new TV contracts because that's where they get the money from in March Madness. Mm-hmm. That $600 million this year was decreased to $225 million. So you can imagine proportionately that's going to impact every Big Ten school and Michigan. So there's going to be a significant budget challenge. I'm a little worried beyond the impact of the cancellation of uh, March Madness and the financial impacts on that. You know as well as I do that attendance at football Mm -hmm. has gone down gone down significantly, and I think it will continue to go down, and not only at the college level, but at the professional level also. I think we've saturated the country with sports uh, of every type, and, you know, I, I hear complaints about, you know, the length of games, the number of TV timeouts, et cetera, et cetera. These are all going to impact the experience. I always felt that, you know, what we're providing at Michigan on a football Saturday is the entire game day experience, not just the football game. Everything starts with when people get on I-94 or US-23. What's the traffic like? How is it handled? Is it easy to park? Do we treat the folks right? Do, Do we gouge them at the refreshment counter? All of those things are important. Do we bomb them during each timeout with, you know, too loud a music so they can't talk to their neighbors? So many little things. And I I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens to the attendance at college football this fall. Hopefully, if it starts, we've seen what's happened with uh, students. They voted with their feet. Um, they just don't have the same passion that they had mm-hmm. in previous years and decades for for college football. And, and it's a shame to see it, but it's but it's there. It is there, and and it, it's always the challenge, and and it's the challenge everywhere. And there's like you mentioned, there's it's it's the saturation of sports, um, and it's it's the fact that everybody wants to be able to see every game. And one of the challenges is trying to get you know, internet and, and Wi-Fi solutions so that people can get updates on their phone. And uh, I know all of those things have been in, upgraded and improved over the last few years. So uh, it'll be interesting to see when we do get back going, um, you know, what, what it is. Cause I, 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 I think initially we're going to get a good bounce back because everybody is going to, for, for right now, they've missed all of the spring sports, um, and not that those are, are greatly attended, but they are part of of what we are at, at the Michigan Athletics Department. And I think that there's going to be a lot of people that want to say, "Hey, we were we were told we didn't have this opportunity in the in the spring. Now we do have it in the fall. Um, so hopefully we get uh, a little bit of that bounce back, and we find a way to capture um, that that bounce back and keep them there." And uh, you had mentioned. Um, professional sports as well. And you were um, one of the directors uh, when Stephen Ross uh, bought the Miami Dolphins. He brought you in as one of the directors. What was that experience like for you? Well, 
I remember the one thing Steve uh, told me, and we became very close while I was athletic director. And we both grew up a mile apart in Detroit, Mm -hmm. but never knew each other. Kind of interesting. (laughs) Uh We went to neighboring high schools in Detroit. Um, He was, I remember what he told me. He said, Bill, if I buy this club, my life is going to change because I'm going to want to go to every single uh, football game. And and he has very religiously. Um, It was one of those experiences when he called me up and said, hey, Bill, I want you to go to the closing with me when I sign my name and you know, I spend all this money to buy this club. <laughs> and I said, well, what what am I supposed to do, Steve? I can't write a check. <laughs> and he said, no, you just have to make certain I don't turn chicken and run outside the door. <laughs> was, That's a big check, too. <laughs> it was pretty funny at the time because as much as he wanted to do it, he knew that there would be a, a major change in his life. But I can tell you, I I was just looking at some numbers today on what's happened with uh, the NFL TV revenues, Mm -hmm. uh, and they were, uh, I'll just quote them, I have them right here on my desk, uh, from 2007 to 2013, the NFL TV revenues, which were split, of course, among all the clubs, were 1.9% billion dollars a year from 2014 to 2022 the new tv contract that number jumped from 1.9 billion to 3.1 billion Mm. a huge increase that's why the value of the franchises jumped accordingly and the same thing happened in the nba with the new TV revenues that came in. Uh, Somebody shot me an email the other day and was telling me, and I've got that right here, with NBA team sales in the period 2011 to 2014, six teams were sold for an average of 400 million each. From 19, after 2014, four teams were sold for an average of 1.85 billion, they went up four four and a half times. <clears throat> it's just incredible, and I, I think what you'll see is that the TV networks, because they're all about eyeballs watching the tube, mm-hmm. because that's how they make their money from selling advertising, and those those eyeballs are going to de- decrease as people become saturated. And then that's going to impact the TV contracts that the NFL gets, that the Big Ten gets, uh, that all the Power Five conferences and college athletics get for airing their events, because everything is driven by the revenue that they receive. And what it's going to mean is, I think, you'll see a tightening of the belts overall. You may see some schools, you know, dropping sports, Um it's going to be a very difficult time. And uh, I think some of the Olympic sports will suffer. And I, it, it breaks my heart when I say that, because uh, having been president of the Olympics, I can tell you that the pipeline to winning the medal count and the gold medal count, which are the two objectives we have as a country, we want to win a minimum of 100 medals overall 
and win more medals than any other country, which we've done in modern history, Mm -hmm. and win more gold medals than anybody else. But it's it's going to be hard. Uh, you, You saw that wrestling was dropped as an Olympic sport. Well, that's a college sport, too. And what the Olympics has tried to do was bring in sports that would attract the millennials to the tube. So they've added sports like uh, skateboarding, rock climbing, surfing, and they've dropped wrestling, for instance. And we've seen that over time as some sports have gone away. I I didn't realize that I was reading the other day about uh, the history of Olympic sports. Tug of war used to be an Olympic sport. (laughs) We (laughs) laugh about it, but it was at one time. (laughs) But uh, it's going to be very challenging times for uh, college sports. And it's going to be interesting to watch. But I think the important thing really is to provide the opportunity for the student athletes to participate. Does it really matter if you take a chartered plane or a bus? Does it really matter if the other schools you play are all within the distance of, you know, a three or four hour drive in a bus? I mean, the cost uh, for Michigan athletics for charter flights, I think, is, uh, well, I don't even know what it is today. I I remember it was something that we always looked at in the Big Ten. We always wanted to have an agreement that we would, uh, for instance, we would bus to Illinois and they would bus to us. And you ended up having bilateral agreements between two schools, all in the interest of cost containment. Now, what's hard is when you may have a men's and women's basketball or volleyball or hockey game midweek, and you've got to get those student athletes back so they can attend classes the Mm -hmm. next day. Well, then you can understand it, but the cost of it is significant. Well, there's a lot of costs and there's a lot of challenges facing uh, athletic departments as as we try and work through the, the coronavirus and, and everything that it has affected. Um, but before this, um, and I think this will be an interesting, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Um, before any of this happened, there was a push and there has been some states that have signed laws into effect in regards to name, image, and likeness. Um, and and the, the federal government was getting involved, and there'll probably be within the next year to two years a, a federal law um, governing name, image, and likeness of student-athletes. Uh, what is What are your thoughts on that moving forward and, and maybe some effects that it might have on the student-athlete? Well, I, I can tell you, you know, five years ago, I was dead set against paying the student-athletes. Mm-hmm anything uh, in the way of compensation. I've done a 180 on it, and I've tried to walk around from the student-athlete's perspective. But whatever, and I do agree with you that there should be one national law that, that governs this. We can't have a hodgepodge situation where states are going off in their own direction. Uh, we need one unifying law. But the question is, Um, what sports does it cover, what are the impacts of Title IX, and then what are the possible negative impacts of it? Mm -hmm. Now, let's say that you are an auto dealer in a city, 
and you want a particular student athlete who's in high school to attend your alma mater, and you say to that uh, kid and his family, we'll pay you $100,000 a year if you attend uh, the university that we designate. Mm -hmm. What's the impact of that on the school? You can see how, how are you going to control that situation? Furthermore, if that young student athlete accepts it, then they're getting paid. They'll have to pay income tax on it. And then the question is, is their full ride scholarship subject, subject to taxation also? Mm -hmm. And it very well could be unless Congress passes a waiver on it. It's an absolute uh, landmine and there'll be multiple unintended consequences and they'll be scrambling to try to, after the fact, correct for it. it you just can't possibly think of all the, the, the different machinations that will come about unintended uh but you've got to deal with them. I, I know with the NCA rule book, and I don't know, John, if you've ever walked down the hall to compliance and said, hey, show me the, <laughs> the rule books for compliance. I don't know, there's six, 700 pages. Yes. And they've gotten so burdensome over time because abuses have taken place. And then once there's an abuse, a new law is passed to try to plug that hole. And, and that's normal. It's kind of like the... IRS and the federal tax system. Nobody can understand it. Nobody could read the whole thing if they had to, but it, it is what it is. Uh, I, I'm in favor of uh, student athletes having the right to control their own likeness. I don't like the fact that the NCAA uh, sits back and says, hey, you can't do that. We own you once you come and you get a scholarship at one of our institutions. I can remember in oh somewhere around the mid 2005 2006 in the Big 10 uh, we as athletic directors were very frustrated with the fact that we really couldn't get any teams in the college world series. <laughs> mm -hmm. Today we know we had one in the finals this year but it's yeah. been an awful long time before any snowbelt team had been in the college uh World Series at any level. So what we came up with was an idea. Why don't we take all the northern conferences and all the northern universities and let's hold our own national championship at Cooperstown? Mm. I mean, what a historic place to do it. Yeah. The Cooperstown was all for it. Well, what did the NCAA do? They came down with a very, very heavy hand. Uh, heavenly hand, not heavenly, heavy hand, <laughs> and said, guys, if you do that, you won't be able to participate in any of our other uh, college championships. And I thought that was brutal of them. That was just a power play on their part that I thought was wrong. And we backed down. We didn't do it. 
uh, because we didn't want to put in jeopardy uh, any of the other sports and we weren't ready to fight them in court over it either. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, I, I think there's a lot of, of those issues that will be raised, especially in the new environment that we will be in uh, when we come out of this, uh, this, this turn that we've taken with the coronavirus. And, and before uh, we let you go, um, as we talked to Bill Martin here on In the Trenches, uh, former athletics director uh, and also president of the United States Olympic Committee, I, I mentioned that uh, you've, you've worn a lot of hats. And a lot of those hats have been worn in the city of Ann Arbor, whether it's uh, founding the Bank of Ann Arbor or your, your first Martin Corporation. You had mentioned at the outset that um, uh, you, you walk to work, uh, down the Huron river. Uh, and I guess I'd like to get your thoughts on, you know, what has the city of Ann Arbor and the university of Michigan meant to you? Oh, wow. It's, uh, it's been my entire life, uh, has, um, surrounded the university and our community. And, uh, I can't tell you how many times my wife and I, and we met at the university while we were both in graduate school, said how fortunate we were to live in such a, a vibrant, exciting community full of people with all sorts of backgrounds from every part of the world with political views that are across the spectrum, which makes it healthy. Uh, and the university and all the opportunities it presents um, we're just really blessed to be here, and uh, we have no intention of uh, retiring and going any darn place else. Yeah, when it gets to, to be gray and damp and cold in the winter, yeah, would I like some sunshine? Well, yeah, so you go away for a couple of weeks and you get it, but Ann Arbor is home, and uh, it always will be. And I, I think it's important to say that, you know, uh, our businesses have been successful. Sure, we worked very hard, and I started with absolutely nothing. But you don't take out of a community without putting it back. And that's one reason we have a family foundation, and we give out a lot of money every single year to local charities. Uh, it's donor-directed. We don't have a fancy interview process. We look around, uh, Where? what do we do? We focus on human needs first, and then look uh, also beyond that to support many of the other nonprofits in our community. Well, I know uh, you feel blessed to be in Ann Arbor, as do I, and have been a part of the University of Michigan um, as part of our personal histories. And I know that I can speak for a lot of Ann Arborites and and a lot of uh, alumni of the University of Michigan. We're very fortunate that you uh, have chosen Ann Arbor and the University of Michigan. uh, And I'm thankful for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay, no problem, John. And go blue. I want to send a big thank you out to Bill Martin for everything that he has done for the community of Ann Arbor, for the University of Michigan, for sports in general, and and thank him for his time. He's a busy guy uh, and even busier right now with everything that's going on in the banking industry. Um, so thank you for uh, spending a few moments with us. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time with him and look forward to more coming from In the Trenches. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of In the Trenches with John Jansen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Michigan Sports Network.